Now, last week you got to uh, listen to uh, Jeff preach. Now, he's the uh, lead elder and senior elder. So that leaves me with only the title of the old elder. <laughs> That's good. That means I've lived a long time, right? All right. All right. One of the things that's interesting is that when I gave uh, Jesus Christ as, as Lord of my life a number of years ago, and I was reading the Bible daily, I was, this particular scripture caught my eye. Jesus said, this is John 14, 21, Jesus said, whoever has my, com- has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Now that's kind of, from my background, I had a very harsh and disciplinary uh, stepfather who had very conditional love. And as a result of that, when I read that, I said to myself, so how am I going to show God that I love him? A little bit different twist on it, but sometimes we come from that standpoint based on our life experiences. We tend to think of God in terms of who our parents were rather than who he really is. So... When I read that, I, I started to think about how am I going to bring that, that obedience into my life. And as I read the Bible and, and studied, looked at my life and what was going on, I, I realized that I didn't have much victory. I would read it, but it wasn't connecting. I would think about how we're supposed to have victory over sin, how we're supposed to have love and joy in our lives. Now, I had, I had joy. But I struggle with, gee, did I really have it together? Did I really understand? And I really didn't. Some of the things I did when I did that is um, I attempted to show God that I loved him. It seemed like kind of an interesting process, right? You know, if he says you, you obey me if you love me. So I wore myself out serving in the church. Now, since Martin isn't here, I, I won't... <laughs> Say so that's not a bad thing, but, but wearing yourself out doing it for the wrong reason isn't a good thing either. And I was trying to prove to God through that obedience that again I that I was showing that I loved him. And I really felt that I had to demonstrate that. The problem is I still didn't have victory. And so I started to pray. I said, Lord God, help me understand what it is I'm not getting. I see and I read about the profound victories of those who follow you in, in, in life, in the Bible, in your word. I'm not experiencing that. What is going on? And I started to pray that on a regular basis, asking God to just reveal that truth to me. I started spending a lot more time in prayer, uh, challenging myself, challenging God to really understand why. Why was I not able to really obey? I tried. I kept failing, and I didn't feel like I was really connecting. So what did I do after that? Well, a couple of things happened to me that I, that I realized. One is wrong thinking. Have you ever had wrong thinking? Anybody want to raise their hands? I've had wrong thinking. Ah, everybody has experienced that. That's good. So one of the challenges is so, first of all, I had to wrestle with the fact that is, is my relationship with God, 
dependent on me. Is it? Hmm. Was it important that I, that I did work, works? Do I really understand his love? Do I really understand that, that profound sacrifice that Jesus made? Do I, do I get that? Now, the pastor that uh, was kind of taking us under his wing at the time made a suggestion. He said, read the following book. The title of the book was Victory Over Darkness. Uh, the author is Neil uh, Anderson. I always want to say Armstrong, but you can probably understand why. And one of the things that came out of that book for me was a different understanding of Jesus Christ, a different understanding of the relationship, a different understanding of who I really was in Christ. And that understanding, that process of trying to really grapple with that and to really get it, has worked out in my life from that day forward. And it's still working out. But one of the things that's profound about understanding that is you start having, you start seeing profound changes in your life. Uh, I take my glasses off so I can read my notes. Now, one of the things that, that the book points out that I realized I was doing is that we behave and act based on how we see the world. It's called a worldview. So if we see um, the world as a place where I have to earn my rewards, earn my love, earn my relationships, then based on that, we're going to work and struggle and strive to do it that way and then we will live under condemnation for all the things that we perceive we've done wrong. It's a terrible place to be, but that is where I found myself. So what, what had to happen is, as I read that book, and I realized, and we're going to go into the detail of this a little bit later, about what Christ really did for us on the cross. I had an epiphany. I think I said that right. My worldview changed. And when that worldview changed, I started seeing God from a whole different perspective. One of the things that, that kind of exemplifies this, and this comes into the victory side, in Joshua 5, 13 through 14, this is to put some, you know, some background on this. This is where Joshua just was put in charge of the house of Israel. They just crossed... Jordan River, and they're getting ready to take the, the promised land. Moses had gone home. God had put him in charge. And so he is the head of the armies of Israel. Okay? And he's wondering, how am I going to take a fortified city called Jericho? Because he didn't have a clue, but he was in charge. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. I can just imagine that. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? In other words, whose army are you going to join? Well, didn't he get a surprise of his life when, the, when, when uh, he said, Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. That's Jesus Christ, uh, precarnate. 
Joshua had an epiphany right there. He fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? In other words, he changed from thinking about God being on his side to how do I be on God's side? And that, my friends, is what I realized I was doing to God. I was asking God to be on my side, to give me victory in what I needed to do. And I had it completely wrong. To really be obedient, to really have that victory in my life, I had to say to God, what is it, Lord, you want me to do? And how do I be on your team and do what you want me to do, not what I want to do? And I'll tell you, that changed my life. And I think about that in some interesting ways. For example, think about a team. Most of us, or a lot of us here, are into sports. I'm not particularly into sports, although I like to play them when I get a chance. Well, at least when I was younger. Uh, I get hurt too bad now. <laughs> um, when we play based on what the coach is telling us to do, and we work together, we usually play well. We may win, we may not. But the point is, as a group, as a team working together, we play well. Even when there's a superstar on the team, if that superstar doesn't play with the team, it doesn't matter usually how good that individual is, the team doesn't do well. He may do well, but the team doesn't. Well, on God's team, he's the coach. And he's asking us to play a part. Now, the thing that's interesting is that in a game, you can see the rules, you can see the score, you can see the players, you can observe. And God's, he has all that understanding, and he's asking us to trust him in that process, to, to look at ourselves in relationship to what he wants us to do, and are we going to be willing participants and players in that process? Are we really going to surrender to his leadership? Now, one of the things that... Uh, that uh, really came to dawn on me was, uh, this is a big revelation. Now, a lot of us think that when we get salvation, we've kind of met the, the, the pinnacle of our success, right? We're going to heaven, and that's true. But the sanctification process, that is, God and the Holy Spirit working in us, changing us to be more like Jesus, starts. So it's not really the end of the race it's really the beginning and that's when we start going through the trials and tribulations of life from a whole different perspective rather than of our own doing or of others of our unchecked sin our, uh, our putting ourselves and our needs first in our lives rather than God's he starts transforming us transforming our understanding transforming us into team players. Team players that know who we are in Christ, that we have a relationship, a profound relationship with him, that we have a profound relationship with his body, with other believers, that we play on his team in a way that is beneficial to the team. He can see all that. We can't. But he can train us, and he does. 
In fact, that's a lifelong process. We never get through that training. And sometimes when we mess up big time, just like a good coach, he takes us back to the basics. So, so when that happens, we have to remember, oh yeah, I, maybe I need to re remember or relearn that, uh, that uh, uh, exercise. All right. Some of the things that you need to do in regards to right thinking. Okay, so God loves us, and that will actually never change. One of the things that's profound that, that I learned is that we cannot change our relationship with God, and it's because it's not based on us. That whole relationship is based on the cross and what Christ did for us. Now think about that. Really think about that. So when we screw up and don't do what is right, does God love us any less? No. He loves us the same. If we get angry and, and do things we shouldn't do or wander off and forget to read our Bible for a week or two or longer, we quit going to church, does God love us any less? No. He doesn't. Because it's not based on us. Now, all those activities can separate us from our side with that relationship. But it doesn't separate God's relationship with us. And that's really profound to understand. Because that means that we can really look at life very different as a result of that. We are no longer children dependent on ourselves trying to figure out how, how we're going to live and survive. We can truly trust and set that into God's control and live our lives based on the freedoms and the knowledge that he loves us, that he will care for us, and that he loves us enough that he's going to train us. All right. All right. Christ did it all. John 19.30 says, Jesus said, it is finished. That's what, that was when he was on the cross. After showing us the example of a sinless life, and dying for us to bridge the gap between us and the Heavenly Father. And he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And it is finished means that the whole process of that relationship between us and the Father has now been resolved. And the challenge that we have is to learn what that relationship is. And what I call learn the character of God. Learn what how he thinks and how he approaches things as best we can because when we understand that, we start making far wiser choices about what we do. I found that by praying and, and, and looking at this differently that I started to pray about what, what God really wanted me to do. So one of the things is I quit accepting everything that I was asked in the church to do as a, as a directive from God. I got awfully busy, but I'll tell you, I also got really tired. Uh, I started asking God what it was he really wanted me to do and then try to act in, uh, on that. And I found that I was empowered to do those because he, he was blessing them, and I, wasn't, I didn't get anywhere near as tired. It was kind of nice. Uh, and I also started becoming more responsive. Uh, when it, you're not tired, you're doing what... What God's asking you to do, you, you, you're reading the Bible, you're, you're, you're praying, you're, you're pushing in, trying to understand, trying to hear what he has to say. And he speaks to all of us in different ways. 
but he does speak to us. And I found that as I practice listening and then, and then working on that practice of hearing and acting on that, I really felt joy. I, and I felt pleasure and satisfaction in doing what I was really supposed to do rather than everything that I thought I was supposed to do. There's a big difference between those two. And it's primarily the difference was in my heart. One of the things that I uh, uh, think about in terms of uh, godly obedience, what is it? A desire for a right relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from a heart of awe, reverence, love, and respect. So I did a little bit of word searching on this, and I said, so what does that really mean? Awe, wonder, admiration, amazement. When you think about what God can do and does, those are just all true. Wonderment, astonishment. A couple more. Fear, dread, trepidation. We are dealing with the creator of the universe. He is our father. It is good to please him. He loves us so profoundly. Love, adore, irresistibility, devoted, passion, respect, esteem, acceptance, appreciation, fellowship, follow. Now, how do we hear? How do we actively listen for his direction? Well, one of the primary methods that we've all heard, God's Word. So when we read God's Word, one thing I do is I I like to read it and ask myself, how does this apply to my life? I know probably all of us do that. We read and we say, how does this apply? How does this make a difference? One of the challenges that comes out of that, though, is are we acting on it? And I would challenge you to do that. Because when it, when, it, when, it, when it comes to your mind, it's so easy to say, yeah, at least for me, I always found it was easy to say, yeah, I can do that. But then I found that I would struggle sometimes in the doing side. Right? Sometimes hearing. God talks to us. Talks to us in impressions. Uh, talks to us in words sometimes talks to us in uh, circumstances. We say we get an aha moment, recognizing that there's an opportunity to do something that God would have us do. And one of the things I found when I felt prompted to do something, that I, uh, I, 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 I made a decision when I felt prompted that I would act on that prompting as quickly as I could. Now, there's actually two reasons why I do that. Now, one... I call it the, you know, the devil's takeaway. He, he will love to talk to you about, are you sure? Does that really make sense? You know, you might make a fool of yourself. I mean, you know, it's not going to be easy. And what happens if it isn't God to begin with? So all those things would struggle in me. And I learned, I said, okay, well, the best way to stop that is to immediately, as quickly as reasonably possible, is commit to it so I can't get out of it. That's one reason why I'm up here today, by the way. 
and I'll tell you, Sunday mornings when I'm getting ready to come here and the nerves are kind of working away and, and you're wondering if you're going to make a fool of yourself, you keep going, man, is that really, did I really hear God? <laughs> I can't get out of it now. Uh, all right. Now, Tom Chase said something on Monday. We were together, and, and he said the following quote, and he'd heard it somewhere, so I don't think he... I'll give him credit. I don't know that, it, that it's only, totally his. And he said, The secret to obedience is to love the one you obey. And I went, Wow, what a way to sum it up. Wow. And I, I was thinking about that, and I said, You know, the Father sent his only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to make the final sacrifice to allow us to have a right relationship with him as his adopted children in whom he then deposits the Holy Spirit. So, when I think about that, if that isn't enough for us to love him and to recognize that, then what is? And if we don't, then it's probably time to, to just start asking ourselves what is going on in our lives where we have for whatever reason, lost that connection or don't have that belief. Um, because he did it all. We just have to buy into that. And it's true. And, and if you struggle with that, do what I did. In that God is faithful. He, he wants to have that tight, intimate relationship with us. Pray. Ask him. Ask him to show you. He will. Absolutely will. Now, what I wanted to do is share some examples out of my life where some of that went well and some of it didn't go so well. The first one I want to talk about is a Christian conference many years ago that I felt I was supposed to go to. This was a men's retreat, okay? That's where all the men get together and sometimes they go shooting, sometimes they do all kinds of stuff. But it's but in this particular case, it was at a conference, a Christian center, and I was a smoker. In fact, I was a very addicted smoker. I'm one of those that after about three hours, I would get the shakes, I would break out in a sweat, and I'd hyperventilate. It was terrible. Uh, if you were around me, you knew when I hit this about the three-hour period because I'd get aggravated and it would grow. Now, you can just ask my wife. She, uh, she's sitting over there. She's shaking her head up and down. It was, it was a terrible addiction, and, and about 10% of the population smoke have it to that degree. So I started to rationalize. So I felt I was really supposed to go, but I went, hmm, if I go, if I go to that conference, ooh, they may not allow smoking at all. What am I going to do? Hmm, well, they might allow smoking, but if they do, it'll be outside in some designated area, and everybody will look at me and laugh and chuckle about how unchristian I really was. You know, I'm not going to go. Okay, so I didn't. Well, what happened is about, let me, I'm trying to think, about three or four days later, when I just come in from outside having a puff, I actually heard the following. Now, usually I hear God when I'm in trouble. Not always, but, but he is faithful. He said, so... Smoking is more important than me. 
Ooh. I had a, had a David experience. I went, wow, Lord, you're right. That's what it looks, but I can't quit. I don't know how to quit. I can't quit without you. And I felt a peace. And I went, ooh, I'm going to have to stop. But I knew that he would tell me, and, and I just sensed that he was going to help me. Well, the following Sunday morning, about three days after that, and I had a chance to kind of soak on this whole process, I heard, I heard his voice again, and it was very distinct, it said, and the voice said, today. And I knew exactly what it was about. I've never smoked since. Now, what's interesting, and this is what God did, God took away the physical side of that addiction. I never got the shakes. I never got the anxiety. I never got the hyperventilation. My wife didn't even realize that I stopped smoking for three days. Now, that's a testimony to that. What he didn't take away was the temptation. And I'll tell you, Satan worked on me big time. Don't you really want to smoke again? I know you enjoy it, which I did. But I didn't. And I attribute that to two things. One, my changing and, and growing understanding of who God was, number one. And the power of understanding that he had relieved me of those physical constraints that were driving my smoking. And I really had no control over it. It really took him to, re, to remove that. So, wow, what an experience. Hmm. The next one is, is, is a little is interesting. Uh, the church that we were attending at the time, there was a missionary, a Canadian uh, citizenship, who had spent a profound amount of his adult life in the Middle East, ministering and preaching, witnessing to Arabs, Muslims. Dangerous profession, even back then. Uh, really neat guy, and he was... The challenge was is that he was dying of a tumor. And so it created a, a fair number of restrictions. Because they were worried about him blacking out because of the pressure of the tumor, he couldn't drive, though he had all of his faculties. He wasn't... He had no restrictions that way, but they were concerned about that, so they restricted him. He couldn't drive. And so when I got a chance, we'd go fishing together and spend time together and talk. And I really got to, to know him, and I really enjoyed who he was and the profoundness of, of his faith. Uh, he recognized his condition. He trusted God and didn't worry about it. So time progressed, and at, at about, I don't know, three or four, six months after that point, uh, he, he became more restricted in his ability to work, to do mission work. He was doing mission work remotely, from, uh, from home in support of the ministry. But he really got to the point where he couldn't do that anymore because the disease was progressing. And they were going to send him back to Canada because that's what his citizenship was and his health care then would be covered up there, uh, which, which became sort of becoming problematic for it to be covered down here in the United States. So they were making preparations to move. And I really felt God tell me to go in. I might cry over this one. 
to go and spend a couple of weeks with him and his family to help them in the transition and to uh, get settled. And I, and I felt a strong prompting. I didn't hear him telling me to do it, but I felt a strong prompting. And I let the enemy at me. Gee whiz, two weeks of vacation, you know, you really don't have it to, to spare. You know, it's going to cost you a lot of money, and, and uh, how are you going to justify that? I mean, good grief, it doesn't really make sense. Why would you go all the way to Canada? You can find help up there. He's got friends. All right. So I, I finally settled with myself that I was going to be okay with that. Here's the problem. A good friend of mine, an elder in the church, uh, was busy, uh, and, and he was obviously getting ready to take a trip. And so I asked him, I said, uh, so where are you going? And he says, well, I really felt led by God to spend a couple of weeks helping my friend get and his family get resettled in Canada. I'll tell you what I felt like. Uh, I cried. I felt that I'd let my friend down and let God down and and all that. Well, the good news is, God's faithful. Since I didn't do it, he found a replacement. That's the good news. And it taught me a lesson. It really did. It taught me to, to really think about what I'm hearing. And even though it may sound outrageous, all of that fit into God's character and into the body of Christ, didn't it? I mean, think about it. Love, respect, help. Um, companionship, all of that fit into that. Check the time here, okay. Conference. Conference in, in, in Oregon. We went to, Sandra and I went to, uh, to a Christian conference and it was a, it was a big event, three, five hundred people. It was held in a huge barn and it was really quite something. And I was praying to God as this was going, worship service going on, and you could feel, you could feel God's presence. It was, it was a neat experience. And I was praying to God, and I was asking him, I says, Lord God, am I really doing what it is you want me to do? Are you satisfied with me? Is there something else you want me to accomplish or to, to be at? Now again, I, and you'll notice themes in this whole process of where when God had done it all, and I can rest on that, like probably most of us here, we tend to, to go back to our learned experiences as we grew up and how we saw God through our fathers and our mothers. So we always tend to have to remind ourselves really of who we are in Christ. Anyway, I noticed an individual wandering down the aisleway looking like, they, like he was looking for a friend. And I noticed him because it was, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't distracting, but... There's a lot of people standing with their, you know, singing and their arms raised. But you can see he was purposely scanning the crowd, slowly walking down the aisle. And when he saw me look at him, he pointed at me and he went, come here, like this. Me? Yeah, yeah, you, come here. So I worked my way out through the crowd and got out to the aisle. And he said the following. God told me to find you and to tell you how much he loved you. And that you are doing what he wants you to do. Whoa. Now that's what I call an answer to prayer. 
And here was a man who was obedient. He listened to God and did something that, if I was in his shoes, would probably go, ah, is that really God? I'm probably going to make a fool of myself. And how do I find the person? Keep looking at the crowd until you get the witness that, that God's going to have that person come over. And when I say this to him, what happens if he says, what are you talking about? I mean, you know, you can play it out in your head. Pretty interesting. But that's some of those experiences I just described sort of having a profound impact on listening and saying, you know, I'm going to obey. I'm going to try and do that every time, even when it makes no sense. And when, it, when I get that prompting, I'm going to do it immediately. Why? Because then it stops the enemy from being able to work on me. All right. I'm going to have to shorten these. I can see I will run out of time. I'm not careful. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to tell you just, uh, uh, next was a prayer that I made that changed a, 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 a friend of mine's view of God. This is a case where I've been a guy at work that I work with, a peer of mine, and I had shared with him many times about the power and the, and the, the profoundness of God. Now, he grew up Catholic. He didn't really have a personal relationship with, with Christ. He just he understood he believed in God, but that side of the relationship wasn't there. And so I kept witnessing to him. And we, had, we used to have nice conversations about that, along with work and all the other things you, you, we always talk about. But anyway, we used to go fishing in Canada on a pretty regular basis. And then one fall we were up there fishing in a fish camp high, high up in, in British Columbia, uh, high altitude, uh, outside Kamloops. And um, we were walking, hiking into a lake. That was a short hike, a couple miles, uh, into a lake carrying gear to, so we could do some fishing. Beautiful day. It's about 70 degrees, perfect blue sky, light, almost no wind at all, just a light, light breeze. And, it, and unfortunately, it's a beautiful day to go for a hike, but it's a lousy day to fish. I don't know if you're much of you a fisherman, but it's better when you get a little variability and a little wind, a little cloud, a little sun, a little rain, that kind of thing. And the forecast was for perfect weather. And my friend said the following, boy, wouldn't it be nice if the weather was stirred up a bit. We got a little wind, a little rain, kind of shake it up a bit so we'd get, get some better fishing. And God spoke to me and he said, pray it. So I stopped in the middle of my tracks and he was right in front of me. So he kept walking. He didn't know I'd stopped. I raised my hands in a loud voice. I prayed. And I said, dear Heavenly Father, I'm asking you to help us to change the weather, that we get a little rain, that we get a little wind, and my friend had stopped, turned around kind of looking at me because I was standing like this with my arms up and I was praying loud enough that people within probably a quarter of a mile could hear me, though there was nobody else but him. And he said, oh yeah, ask for good fishing. So I said, and yes, Father, give us good fishing. Amen. Now, that was bold. I didn't hesitate because I knew if I did, I wouldn't do it. And I did it aloud because what good does it do to pray in silence because then there's no witness right because then it could have been chance the weatherman got it wrong 20 minutes later it started to rain and by the way he caught a lot of fish I didn't catch any <laughs> all right um 
Uh, I'm going to give you one more. Um, this was important because uh, my wife initiated this one. The, uh, my son-in-law at the time was working for Safeway. Uh, John, he's right over there. And a friend of his, a driver, had uh, a large man. Uh, and when I say large, he was, he was big, big, tall. He was just a gargantuan man. He, a driver, um, got a ruptured appendix and ignored it. He, he kind of worked his way through the pain, figuring that he would work through the pain. And ultimately, he ended up in the hospital. And it was bad. They, they had him in a medically induced coma. Now, Sandra felt the Holy Spirit telling her that we should go up and pray for him. Now, it seems a little strange. We don't know him, love him. We just have a, a relationship to him through, through John. So we talked about it, and I, I said, well, get a hold of John, get the inf- contact information, and call up the wife and see if we are welcome. And Sandra did that. She said, yes, by all means, come. So we drove up to Swedish. When we walked into the hotel, or into the, uh, to the uh, uh, medical room, uh, the room was lined with the family. I mean, all sitting in a big row around the whole, the whole room. And I went, oh my, well, Lord, we need to kind of clear this room out because a room full of unbelievers is not an ideal place to be praying. And she said to us, well, gee, would you like everybody to leave so, we can, so you guys can pray? And I said, thank you, that would be great. And so they all marched out, but I asked her to stay. So we prayed for the individual. And it <laughs> made my wife a little nervous because, because he started, even though he's in a coma, he started pulling on his clothes and he got, he got very flushed, very red all over his body. You could see most of it. I mean, and he was decent, but he kept pulling on clothes and doing all kinds of things. And when I felt the spirit light let, let up, we stopped. And, I, and uh, he says, wow. I said, I can tell that my husband sure got hot during your prayer. And I said, well, sometimes God operates that way. So then the family starts to come back in, and I asked her, I says, gee, we could, is there somewhere we can go and talk? And she says, yeah. So the three of us went down to a small room, and I asked her if she wanted to accept Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. She said, yeah, I do. And so we, we talked her through that process, and uh, she gave her life and heart to, to Jesus. Wow, what an experience was also interesting, two weeks later, he was checked out of the hospital. And we found out later that they really didn't expect him to live. They thought he would be dead within, within a week because of the damage that the infection had done to him. So God also delivered him. That was kind of a cool thing to see. So the lesson there is you don't always have to hear directly. You might talk through a spouse, a friend, the pastor, um, the word, uh, a, a situation. I would just encourage you to always be listening. All right. I'm running out of time. What I'd like you to do is turn your bulletin over. Why don't you go to Who I Am, page 
10, slide 10. These are, these came out of the, uh, the book, Victory Over Darkness uh, by Neil Anderson. And what he did is he went through the Bible and identified all the places that God talks about who we are. And, the, and when we really believe and understand it, that it's him as Lord of our lives and how he feels about us. So think about it as a profound, loving father. We get to run around in his castle. What a, what a, what a profound thought. So I'm going to let you kind of read through these as you get a chance. But a couple, couple of ones that sang out to me on this first page is, I am a child of God, John 1. I am Christ's friend, John 15. I am chosen and appointed by Christ to bear his fruit, to do what he did. Profound. On the next one, some of, the, some of these that really sang out to me is, I'm the son of God. God is spiritually my father. I am joint heir with Christ. Wow, sharing his inheritance with him. I'm a temple, a dwelling place of God. His spirit and his life dwells in me. And here's one that always got me. that really gives us all hope. I am a new creation. He really does change us from who we were to something completely different. It just takes a little time for us to cooperate. Uh, the next one, you know, those that, that really sung out, I am an heir of God since I am a son of God. I am God's workmanship. His handiwork, born anew in Christ to do his work. Now we are to be about uh, the same kind of work that Christ did. I'm a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. Wow, you know what's cool? You all are my brothers and sisters. Hey, what could be better than that? On the next one. Uh, I am an expression of the life of Christ because he is my life. I am chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. That's the one that that because of my background, I struggle with the most, but yet so how profound and true that is. On the next one, I'm a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. I am one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I'm a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. We are adopted into his family. And in... And in God's terms, as in the old Israel terms, when you're adopted, there is no difference between an adopted son and the real son. Wow. On the next one, I'm an alien and a stranger to this world in which I temporarily live. We are heavenly bound. I'm a child of God and will resemble Christ when he returns. I am born of God and the evil one, the devil, cannot touch me. Wow. Some of these are really important. All right. So in closing, I want you all to, to remember something. Faith is not just a noun. It's a verb. It means action. If you believe but never act on it, how does that show who you are? Obedience is best and easiest when it's based on the love of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when, 
when we really understand as God Lord of our lives, as God the coach of our lives, if we really understand that and we love him for the blessedness that he brings with that leadership, it makes it really a lot easier to obey. I would challenge you to expect to be directed by God. Look for it. Believe me, he does it. (laughs) Be strong and have courage. And most of all, have fun and enjoy the experiences. Let me close. Dear Heavenly Father, I just ask you to to bless this, this group, all of us this year, this day, Lord. I ask you, Lord God, that you would reveal yourself to us anew and afresh. Let us see the truth, the profound truth of who you are and how you love us and how you went through great pains to allow us to have that close relationship with you and to thoroughly and truly understand who we are because of the work of the cross and the work of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. What an amazing truth that all those things that Jim just read through, that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are a friend of God, that we are no longer condemned. And you know, I'm sure that there are many of you in this room who have similar stories about how God met you, about how he spoke to you. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, all right, that's crazy. Like, Jim, you're a little off your rocker, (laughs) right? Some of you may be feeling that way. And you know, really, I, I have to say that, like, For many years, I was that person saying, you know what, that's crazy. God speaks to us through his word. God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but that was different. That was then. He he does things differently now. I don't know why I thought that. But the reality is, is that Scripture, the Old and New Testament, from beginning to the end, is filled with a story of a God who speaks. And he doesn't just speak through circumstances. He does that. He doesn't just speak through his word. He does that. He gave us his word for a reason. But we serve a God who speaks, and he still speaks today. And I don't know, I think God's really used Jim in my life to teach me that over the last year year and a half, two years since I've been here. I remember feeling completely alone back in, really January. I was just really at a, at a low point. I was just kind of, and I, I was angry at God. I felt like he had left me here to do things on my own. I just kind of stopped listening to him. And like a little toddler, I just decided to ignore him. And for the first time in my Christian walk since I was six years old, my first time in my Christian walk, I, I literally intentionally turned my back on him and ignored him. And for three days, I did not talk to him. I did not speak to him. I did not pray. I did not pursue him in his word. And I just like, I'm done. It's a funny thing because uh, elders meeting comes and I, I just kind of made it through the meeting. And Jim comes up to me after elders meeting and he says, hey, Nate, can I talk to you? We go into my office. I'm like, sure. And he said, Nate, God told me during elders' meeting that I needed to come talk to you. 
And I know Jim very well by this point, and I, I realize, okay, okay, I'm listening. He didn't know that I had turned my back on God and been ignoring him for three days. And he proceeded to say things to me that he would have had no idea was exactly the things I needed to hear. Just questions that I had screamed at God were answered that he, would, he didn't even know that I had asked. God still speaks. Sometimes he uses a, a bald guy named Jim to do it. <laughs> but sometimes he, he whispers into our soul. And, and, you know, I'm reading a really good book. If, if, you want, if you're at that point, you know, I want to hear God speak, but I don't know how. I've been going through my Christian walk and I've never heard his voice. Nate, um, <clears throat> talk to Jim. Talk to me. God has been really hitting me with that this year. Um, it's a really good book you could read called Walking with God by John Eldridge. That's a really good one. But God still speaks. He wants to speak with you. He's a God who wants relationship. Why would he not want to speak to you? We need to quiet our hearts. We need to just listen. But like Jim said, it all starts with understanding who we are, that we are his child, that he doesn't condemn us. He just wants us to talk to him and he wants to talk to us. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, you're his child. He wants, he wants you. He wants to be your friend. Will you let him?